Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen, and I'm here with my co-host, you know him as Rodney, the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, are you ready to do some myth busting? Yes, I am. I'm excited and ready. <laughs> Good. Okay. But before we do any myth busting, Rod, we need to talk about announcements. And our big announcement is the Money Insights Virtual Summit. Yes. Now, can you do you remember the name, Rod? Can I you recite it? Yeah, you All want right. me to give it a try? Please. Okay. It's the Alternative Wealth Building Virtual Summit for High Income Earners. The Alternative Wealth Building Virtual Summit for I think you got it. And ah. can I just tell you, like you said just a second ago when we were talking, every word is critical. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like word. especially the the at the front. Yeah. It's the it is alternative it's, wealth building. It is. Right, right. Okay. Uh anyway, but that's happening on May 4th. You can go to Rod, tell us the tell us the URL. MIVirtualsummit.com. So M is in money, I as in insights, MIVirtualsummit.com. Okay, that's easy enough. MIVirtualsummit.com. By the time you hear this podcast, I'm hoping that the tickets will be on sale and ready to go. So I think if you go to that URL, MIVirtualsummit.com, you should be able to get tickets. Absolutely. And get in cool. early. Yep. Oh, okay. yeah. We got the early bird. We've got a couple, probably two or three weeks of early bird before we before the the ticket prices increase. So, yep. um, yeah, make sure you jump into the early bird. Okay, Rod. Today we're going to talk about, or we're going to do some myth busting. Yes. Okay. But the question is, what kind of myths are we going to bust? So, we have done some myth busting in the past, but it's been probably a year and a half or so, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the myths that we're going to talk about today, some of them overlap a little bit with what we talked about a couple of years ago, but there's also some kind of different and interesting ones that we're going to take a crack at. So today we are going to myth bust nine myths specifically. And I don't know what other context do we need to give to the, the myths we're going to go after? Uh, maybe just that this comes from, a, a one of our life insurance companies, that we're contracted with. And as you may imagine, uh, there are things that we encounter on a regular basis and just in, in the course of what we do. And uh, this was a, a really easy, you know, group of a list uh, that, that was already put together. And so we're going to run with it. Well, and I think the idea behind the list that was created is that they're like some of the most common financial mm -hmm. myths that people think about. So yes. we thought, okay, if these are the most common things and a large insurance company has done the the work to figure out, you know, which of these questions are like really most prominent out there, we'll, we'll just roll with it. So that's, that's cool. how we're going to do it. Okay. So it's going to go from, from things like... Um, you know, how to borrow money. We're going to talk about retirement. We're going to talk about qualified plans and taxes. And anyway, we're going to get into a bunch of different things inside the list. So Absolutely. It's, it's pretty robust in terms of like what it covers as a whole. Yes. Okay. All right, Rod, let's do some myth busting. Number one myth bust. No, no, that's not it. The first myth that we're going to touch on, Rod, is called 
no, no, let's try that again. The first myth that we're going to bust is this. Rod, my money only needs to keep pace with inflation. Okay, so let me just say, I don't know whether, like, I'm relying on the insurance company for this list. <laughs> so there is some question in my mind as to whether people actually believe that their money only needs to keep pace with inflation. So that that's what my initial reaction is. And then my second reaction is, is that, well, duh, of course your money's got to out, outpace inflation. If it doesn't do that, then you're not going to get ahead at all. Yeah, I think when this kind of a statement is made, it's usually as it relates to someone's cash, the emergency fund, uh, like business reserves, like that money that you have sitting in cash. And, and like often the way I hear it said is like, as long as it keeps up with inflation, then whatever, yada, yada. Yeah, so, then it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, well. Is that yeah, enough? So what? Well, therefore, what, Rod? Well, therefore, um, well, it's, but but I think it is a myth because why do I want money sitting on the sideline that only keeps up with inflation? Why wouldn't I want to have liquidity and access to, to the to the funds, but still have them growing in a and and doing better than inflation? Okay, Rod. So here's the big question: How the heck do I do that in a market like today? Great question. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I mean, it's the stuff that we that we talk about on a regular basis. Because here's the when when we talk about, for example, the investment optimizer, and we're talking specifically about dollars that are going to go into investments, and we compare it to, hey, why would you want to have your opportunity fund be a bank account or even like a money market account if you could have it in a place where you can get a five plus percent net return that's tax free, and I think the same thing applies for any money that you have sitting on the sideline, right? If, if that's true for that opportunity fund, then why wouldn't it also be true for all that money that I'm mm. keeping for my rainy day? It's just sitting in my bank account. And I'm not saying that I don't want to have some money sitting in the bank or, or, you know, closer to, to hand if I need it. But I certainly don't want to keep large amounts of money doing that. If, if and the alternative is I could put it somewhere where again, the, the 5% tax free would apply to it. And I have the okay. same liquidity and, and safety for it. Yeah. And that's usually the problem. So I think what generally happens is when, if you're in that situation, people don't know what their, what opportunities there are to take advantage of. Can I also just say that those, those opportunities aren't always there. If you're 72 years old, like using life insurance may or may not be viable anymore mm -hmm. at that point. Right. Yeah. So the question, and then, and then you're talking about things like annuities perhaps, but there's other strings attached with the nudies they yep. have to be thinking about and consider. Yep. So, okay. Okay. Well, but it is a myth. I think, uh, I think you certainly want to be doing the things to keep your money outpacing inflation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because obviously if, if that doesn't happen, you don't get ahead. Okay. Rod, what's the second myth? Second one says I will be in a lower income tax bracket at retirement. Okay, can I tell you my initial reaction, Rod? Uh, yeah, I think I think what a what terrible ambition, right? <laughs> like, like who wants to go and be like have less money to live and enjoy life in the quote unquote golden years than yeah. you do? Like, I thought the whole point was to work so that you could enjoy those years. Like, it doesn't make sense. Now, I get the premise, right? I get the idea that you put a bunch of money in four hundred one ks and those kind of things, and you know, well. 
if you're doing that, by the way, it's not helping your, your income tax any, um, but, but I, I get the idea. They're thinking that you may have some elements of life that are lessened. Hopefully you have a house paid off and mm -hmm. those kind of things. But like, it's kind of ridiculous because medical expenses are super like crazy. So like, yeah, not only should you not expect to be in a lower tax bracket, you should expect and plan to make sure you have at least as much money in your retirement as you have in your working years. Yeah. Can I bring in the next myth so that I can help bust both of them at the same time? Oh, a double myth bust. All right. I'm, I'm up for it. It's a lot, but I'm up for it. Okay. All right. So the next one, the, the third one says my 401k plan creates a tax savings, which can be spent or invested. Okay. So the reason I want to attack both of them simultaneously is because the premise or the, like the reason why they say this about lower income bracket in, in the second one is because if I set the money aside today into my 401k and I end up in the same tax bracket at retirement as I am now, then I'm no better off for having had that tax deferral. In other words, I'm going to pay the same amount in tax given the same tax bracket. Now, I'll tell you this, I've brought that up with people and they'll say, oh no, no Rod, if I put the money into my 401k and get that, that it's a tax there's more money in the account because it was pre-tax going in. Therefore, I have more income later in retirement. And I guess the thought process is it's a higher number that's growing and going. But, but let's just play this out. If I'm in a, let's just say, 25% tax bracket when I set the money into the account... And I'm still in that 25% tax bracket when I retire and I'm taking that money out. I have to have a bigger number in order to end up with the same, right? In other words, I'm paying 25%, whether I pay it today or whether I pay it later, the, the net effect, the net dollars in my pocket are the same either way. You so know, we really should have done Rod is we should have shown some actual numbers, but that's okay. Maybe later. Yeah, I mean, but but again, that the that's why the first or that that second myth is uh, is out there is because I'm setting aside today. If I'm setting aside and I'm in a 25% tax bracket when I put it into the account, and then when I take it back out, I'm in a 15% tax bracket. Then I'm paying less in taxes than I would have if I had paid it at the time I earned the money. So, in other uh, words, you're saying if. If you were not very ambitious and you were shooting for a lower income, then like that could actually work. Yeah. Okay. But okay, well, I mean, is it a myth on, or not, Rod? But you hit on something because you said, well, if I pay off my house, well, if I paid off my house, that's an income tax deduction that I no longer have because I was deducting the interest payments on my, on, on that mortgage. Okay. So what you're saying is, uh, have as big of a mortgage for as long as in your life as you possibly can. Right. So you're saying get it when you're into your retirement years, Rod says, get the biggest mortgage possible because it's a tax deduction. <laughs> if you want that deduction to keep you at the, and push you to the lower tax bracket. Uh, okay. And then the other thing is what well, in during my working years and I have kids in the house and they, that creates tax deductions and or refunds. Right. Well, when in retirement, ho hopefully, I'm not going to have any more miners around uh, that, that where, where I get those get those deductions. So my point is, at the same income level, 
or even, sorry, let me say this. Even if I have a lower income level in retirement than what I have during my working years, if I also have fewer deductions that I can take advantage of, I also don't have my business, right? All these, all these things that create tax deductions for me while I'm in my working years, then the same interest or the same income level, I could actually be in a higher tax bracket when I'm in retirement because I don't have as many deductions. Okay, Rod. So I think I think that we adequately busted the idea of the lower income tax bracket. This third one, I'm not certain if we've if we've completely tackled that one. So okay. So I do think that what you're saying is valid. Um, but there's more to it, Rod. It says my 401k plan creates a tax savings. So that's the first part, mm -hmm. right? So you basically are arguing that it doesn't create a tax savings. Not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but then there's more to it, Rod, which can be spent or invest. Okay. So, so basically what's being suggested in this myth is that I can put money into like a 401k mm -hmm. and because of that, I, I pay less tax, right? Like yep. I'm getting, there's a tax deferral that year. Yep. My income has gone, but I don't get actual money back that I can go and invest by doing that. And that's the problem. Sometimes right. people think like, okay, if I go and I, but there, you still have to come up with money aside from that in order to like fill it all together. Right. Yeah. Is that what it's saying? I, yeah, I, I agree. So yeah, taken as a whole. And can I say there are, some wacky ideas out there that I've seen. And I think a lot of people uh, use them, but here's the one that I always thought had looks like a head scratcher for me is these high income people. They're like, well, I need, I need tax deductions, Mr. CPA help, help me out on this. They're like, oh, well, if you go buy an exotic car, call it a, a business expense, then you'll pay less in taxes. Now I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't want, to drive an exotic car. Like, I guess that, that could be the payoff. However, you have to buy the whole car. So if I'm in a 30% tax bracket and I pay whatever, 500 grand for the car that creates a $150,000 tax deduction. Well, I spent it, right? I, I put it into the car, the full 500 into the car to get the 150 back. Oh, except it doesn't come back because it's in the car. So, but I, I say that to, to kind of draw the line between there and what you're saying here. Like, well, that money is, it's over there now. It's not money you can also do anything else with. Mm, good call. Good call. Okay. Okay. I think that's fair then. So, so one, two, and three, we've knocked out of the park. Those are definitely myths, Rod. Yes. Okay. okay. So here's, here's the thing. They're all myths. So I guess we don't <laughs> need so to define that at the end of the, okay, here we go, Rod. The next one says, Compounding interest creates a financial miracle. Well, you mentioned that I went on a little bit of a tangent about this recently. Uh, which way was I? Was I promoting compound interest or or going against uh, it? You well, you were you were throwing it out like the myth, and I was I was maybe the the counterpoint on that one. Like, well, compounding interest actually is really cool, and I agree. Comp, you know, it's the uh, eighth wonder of the world. Isn't yeah. isn't that the quote? Who said it? I believe it was Einstein, but don't. Okay, uh, I think you're right. That's what I think. Okay, so if Einstein <laughs> says it, Rod, it has to be true. That's all I have to say. So I would, I would submit to you that this must not be a myth, because Einstein said it. Okay, yeah, compounding interest is amazing. I'll agree with Einstein. Eighth, eighth wonder of the world. Let's go there. Okay, 
Uh, I think what they're implying on this one, though, when they say financial miracle, it's how you get there. And here's what I mean by that. If I'm uh, if I'm in a traditional you know stock uh, portfolio, and there are times where I'm losing value, well, that cut into my compound interest, right? So in other words, when I'm projecting to my future and I say I'm gonna, I figure you know it's reasonable to assume a fill in the number, right? Five, six, seven, eight percent average return over time but I don't consider what happens when I have a negative return, then my compound interest calculation is going to be off because the downs always hurt more than the ups. I have to have a higher return to, to overcome the negatives as opposed to if it was just always in the positives and I just had, you know, it's just a matter of how much in the positive I am. Mm, that's a good that's a good one so you're saying there's a difference between average and actual returns and that's a critical component inside of understanding how compound interest can be really valuable um here's what i think of i just think it's really simple like compound interest is is super powerful and yet you've got to save the money like you Mm -hmm. just have to do the work right Mm -hmm. so um it's not a good idea to look at your well so, you know, Guardian, the insurance company we're kind of, we're taking some of the material from, mm-hmm. they're all about this concept of, they're they're very strongly against needs-based planning, right? Yeah. And I think this is kind of an illustration of that idea, right? So what, the, what, what they're really saying here is, you don't want to be that person that's saying, you know what, I'm going to, instead of saving $1,000... I'm going to save $700, spend a little bit more on things that I want, and I'll just get I'll just get a 15% return instead of a 10% return. Compounded. Like, yeah, com- if I do that and it's compounded over time, like I don't really need to be that worried about how much I save. I just need yeah. to get some stuff out there. Okay. Well, anyway, it's a bad idea. So it is a myth. Um it's well, it's kind of like it, it is and isn't actually. I'm yeah. saying this one, I'm not going to call this one a definitive. <laughs> um, I'm going to say that it is a bit of a financial miracle. It creates some amazing things and we want to take advantage of it. Uh, but it doesn't take away personal accountability. Agreed. Okay. Okay, Rod. Number five. I won't need life insurance when I retire. Well, leave it to a life insurance company to think that you're going to need life insurance even when you're old. (laughs) Can you think of any reason why someone might need life insurance after into and after retirement? I can think of a few, Rod, but why don't you mention a couple that come to your mind? um, And then maybe I'll talk about why I think the other direction. Okay. Well, the um, let's start with the premise behind this. When you hear this, it's most often like, oh, well, you just self-insure at some point. Pay for term now, invest more in traditional investments, create that return so that when you, by the time you get to not even necessarily all the way to retirement, but but pre-retirement, right? A lot of the, a lot of the talking heads out there, they'll talk about, oh, by 50, 55, you should be in a place where you're completely self-insured. You no longer need any life insurance, right? And 
Okay, but what's the backup plan if you don't? Okay, well, that, that's my first question. We, we won't necessarily explore that. We'll just leave that it's rhetorical. Um, but when you get to retirement, let's say that you have done all of the things they suggested. You're in the 401k. Uh, you've, you've built up this nest egg. You're going to start turning that into retirement income. Maybe you have like a, a pension even, right? Or you take that nest egg and you turn it into an annuity. So you have guaranteed income for the rest of your life. When you decide on how you're going to take that income, you decide whether it's for just you as an individual or whether it's for you and a spouse. And I'll suggest if you're married, you don't want to dis, uh, dis, what's it, disown your spouse by taking, disinherit? By, you know, cutting them out. Yeah, thank you. You don't want to disinherit your spouse by cutting them out on, on that. In other words, if I do it for just my lifetime and I die in a year, but my wife lives for another 30 later, well, she's in big trouble, right? Uh, unless yes, plan for that. Unless there's a way that I have a large lump sum of money that that kicks out at the time of my death. Ah, then if that's the case, then I can choose for the higher guaranteed income on just my life. And if the more likely scenario is that we we both live long lives and and together and and whatnot, then then we're great. We we have more income coming in. But if the unfortunate happens. I pass away. I'm saying unfortunate. Maybe, maybe others wouldn't agree. Uh, I pass away sooner. Uh, then there's this large lump sum that comes and gives her the ability to replace the income that, that went away. Okay. Rod, can I play the other side of this? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. First of all, while the opportunity that you laid out does technically exist mm -hmm. my experience tells me that it very rarely works okay mm. so now now th that that doesn't mean that there's no value there but i will say this this is kind of an old deal like the life insurance world used to be able to do this fairly regularly but over time that's changed it becomes more and more difficult to do it now okay now um, so, so that was kind of my other side of that specific one. Here's what I would say. I would say if I'm that person that has done all the things that, that you suggest, let's say that I follow the Dave Ramsey plan mm -hmm. to perfection mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm 67 years old and I'm retired and I've got a great nest egg. It's, you know, I'm comfortable that it's going to last both, both mine and my spouse's life then guess what? I think you could actually say that I won't need life insurance when I retire. I think that's a, to that's a totally reasonable thing to say. Here's what I would suggest, though. Mm -hmm. I would suggest that, that the real issue is that I probably, if I understand how money works, I want life ah, insurance when I retire. Neat. So that's the issue. I don't need it, but if you understand how money works, you very well may want it. And we could go into all sorts of reasons. You talked about pension maximization. We mm -hmm. talk a lot about these, um, you know, various concepts like this, you know, using using uh, life insurance to to create a volatility buffer against the market. There's, you know, there's a hundred. We talk about premium finance. We talk about using it to invest money through the investment optimizer. Like all of these things totally apply. Um, it might just be that I want to have a uh, an emergency fund, but I don't want it to be in the bank. And so I'd much rather have it. Like there are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. many, many, many reasons I might want 
life insurance when I retire. And there actually are many, many people who will need life insurance when they retire. Yeah. But as far as it being like a hard, hard, fast truth. And I will say this, I think what they're suggesting is, Hey, you'd be surprised. Like life doesn't usually go as well as you, as, as we think. And more people actually do need it than expect to, because guess what? If you didn't save as much, if, if, for some reason, somebody got sick along the way and you weren't able to create the nest egg that you expected. Yeah. Suddenly, life insurance becomes really critical. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's kind of a tricky one. I think that there are people who genuinely won't need life insurance when they retire. I think a lot of people, if they understand money, will like would would really want to have it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's my take. Yeah. And maybe I'll hit one other angle at kind of what you're saying there. And we talked earlier about the the myth of I will be in a lower t tax income tax bracket at retirement. Well, you will be if, if a lot of your income is coming from a tax-free place, which life insurance is would provide. Uh, so that's true. One of those you're right. So you when, gave would help you in that piece as well. Yeah. So again, we talk about the investment optimizer. We talk about capital avalanches as wealth building tools. And again, both of them can be used to create income. And of course, they are creating tax-free income, which doesn't add to your taxable income. So you're right. We're actually, gosh, Rod, if you work with us, it turns out you actually will be in a lower income tax bracket when you retire. Imagine that. But guess what? You'll have more money. That's right. More money, less income tax. Okay. Uh, Rod, I don't even want to talk about this one. So I'm letting, <laughs> I'm letting you do the dirty work. Okay, okay. Here we go. A 15 year mortgage costs less than a 30 year mortgage. Go for it. The people who say that are saying it because if I have a 15 year mortgage, I have a higher payment, but because mm -hmm. I pay it off in a much shorter period of time, I ha I pay a lot less in, in, in interest payments, which that's the cost, right? Interest payments are the cost. So if I pay less in interest, then I have I pay less in costs compared to a 30 year mortgage. So it's true enough. Again, it kind of goes back to your point a minute ago. I may not need life insurance in retirement, but I may want it. Well, in this case, if you isolate the interest and everything goes great, you make all the payments in 15 years, your mortgage is paid off and, and you will have paid less interest. However, uh, number one, and, and probably really the biggest thing is, is what, well, what would I do with that money if I wasn't paying as high of a payment? In order, in other words, in order to pay less in interest by paying it off in 15 years instead of spanning over 30 years, uh, and I'm paying, I have that higher payment, maybe it's a 40% higher payment than I would if it was a 30 year mortgage. Well, what, what else would I have done with that money? If I was just going to go blow it, right? It's, it's all going into my, trips to Disneyland and my you know, trips to McDonald's, then. Okay, Rod, this is kind of like the inverse of the buy term, invest the difference conversation. Sure. Right. Suddenly we're talking about now we're, we're saying buy a 30 year and invest the, and invest the rest. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. see, and see how it compares with the 15 year, right? That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Because I'm, I have on my, uh, on my mortgage, I'm, I have a 2.99% interest rate. That's solid. T today, people are paying, you know, they're getting in and it's a 6.5% or something, right? Either way, if I can take that money and go invest it somewhere where I have, get, get any higher return than that, 
And especially because here's the key that, that a lot of people are worried about with that is they say, well, but what if something happens and I'm not, I, I'm going to get kicked out of my house. I can't make my payments, et cetera. Well, you do need to make sure that you're putting money in, in a place that's liquid. We talk about emergency funds. Well, it, you, you need as a part of that emergency fund to be able to cover your mortgage for a period of time. And I would say the goal would be to get to a place where, uh, yes, I'm paying lower on my payments. Therefore, I'm going to pay more interest over time. But if I can overcome that with better returns and at any moment in time, I just have an asset there I could use to go and pay off my my mortgage if I ever wanted or needed to, then that's going to be a much better position than looking only at the interest cost on the mortgage. Yep. I think I agree. I'm not, I'm not sure that I even have a lot to add a 15 year mortgage. Um, doesn't have to cost less. Like that's just kind of the bottom line. It could, it could, but it just depends on a lot of factors that come out there. But yeah. really what they're saying is there's more flexibility using a 30 year mortgage, right? So mm -hmm. you reduce your cut, you reduce your payment. And, and here's the other thing I guess I would add to it. If you really want a 15 year mortgage, just get a 30 year mortgage and pay more money to it. And now you have built the flexibility and you don't have to make the payments on that schedule. Yeah. Or build right? or go, go get the shred method, have your 30 year mortgage, right. use the shred method and pay it off in even less than 15 years. Right. Yep. Good thoughts. Okay. Rod, this one is kind of funny because um, I remember reading this the first time and thought, I've never heard this terminology, but we're uh -huh. going to roll with it. You might have to just make sure people understand what this means. Yeah. But here's what they say. Okay. They say disinvesting is the same as investing. What the heck is disinvesting, Rod? <laughs> disinvesting. I mean, I, I guess it's the opposite of investing, but yeah. like, I, I guess I don't quite understand that. So I do, if but. If investing is building up the nest egg so that you can retire, disinvesting is using that nest egg once you're in retirement, taking the money back out. Okay, so here's the you're distant, but you're still investing. You're just investing on the way out. It you're, doesn't mean that you're no longer investing. Yeah, you're spending it down. You're using it up. But but investing while spending it down. Yes. That's critically yep. important, right? You're not moving it into a bank account, then spending it down. Right. You've got to still. Okay. But Keep. either way, the point here they're saying is disinvesting. is So they're basically saying the growth part of retirement savings is the same as the distribution phase. And I think, yeah. and I think we can all agree that they are drastically different and there's a lot of different goals, objectives, um, and things to consider in each of those phases. So maybe, Maybe we could probably spend an entire episode talking about, you know, the, the difference between the distribution and growth phase of retirement, mm -hmm. Rod, but give us just a little bit of your thoughts on why disinvesting is not the same as investing. The, the biggest difference is if I'm counting on that nest egg for my income in retirement and... I come upon a year where the market has lost value, then it's very different. Because in other words, uh, while I'm building up my nest egg, when I have those negative 20, 30, 40% years, 
it hurts. I don't like it, but it doesn't change my plan. Right. Or, or at least that's what, again, that's what the, the Dave Ramsey's that the, they would say, it's a long-term strategy. You're in it for the long haul. There will be ups and downs, but in the long run, your general trajectory will be up. But if I'm now in retirement and I'm living off of some of that money and I have that 20, 30, 40% drop and I took money out, then I didn't experience a 30% drop, I experienced a 34, 35% drop or more, right? Depending on how much income I'm taking. So you have to think of it differently, but, but most people don't acknowledge that they don't, they don't, aren't thinking ahead that far to realize that's part of taking that money out in retirement. That's something they have to be thinking about. And if you like not doing that appropriately, right? So let's just say the scenario you played out, even if it was a 10 or 15% loss, let's say it wasn't something yeah. crazy, but it was still you know, fairly significant. If that was early on, mm-hmm. right? And you're using your money, like the trajectory changes drastically. Yep. It might be that prior to that moment, your money had a, according to the projections, had a 80%, 90% chance of, of working out just the way you want. And it suddenly goes to, 50% just based on that one year's worth of kind of bad luck. Absolutely. Right. Yep. So anyway, you know, lots, that's, that's kind of why we oftentimes talk about owning assets that are counter to the market in retirement that you can utilize if the market's not performing well. Yeah, so or, we're not like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Or instead of taking that approach, let's create cash flowing assets. So we don't have to worry about the actual value of it isn't as important as the actual cash flow. You can have a 2008 come along and and the value of your real estate portfolio may have gone down, but as long as you still have the income coming in, then you're okay, right? Yeah, and, and I think really, well, and regardless of the asset that you're using, mm-hmm. I think you're, you're right. The, the, principle, the principle there applies regardless. Okay. Disinvesting is not the same as investing, says Rod. Okay. So the next one, Rod, is rate of return on my assets is more important than regular savings habits. And I feel like we kind of tackled this a little bit earlier. Some of these like mesh together, but but maybe I'll give you my quick take and then you, you you can finish this one up for us. I think it's a stupid thought. How about that, Rod? That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's stupid. Okay, so obviously you have to save, right? Like you can't just expect a rate of return to get you there. If you you play out the numbers and you say, okay, I only save this much and I get this return, and then you flip-flop things like while rate of return is powerful and can make up a lot of flaws, you can't count on it. It's not, it's not a given. There's, you know, unless you're going, unless you're investing exclusively for guarantees. But if that's the case, you're going to be a little bit lower. So like, I just think it's a stupid idea, Rod. That's my thought. Yeah. And I thought you had hit on it earlier when we were talking about compound interest and you said, I can't, I can't replace with, I can't plan on replacing with, uh, with a higher, a higher return, my poor ability or or choices to set money aside. Right. Yeah. That's a bad idea. The kind of the dangerous thing that that we see people get into is where maybe they didn't save when they were younger. 
now they're getting closer to retirement and realizing, oh man, if I'm going to do this, I'm, you know, 55 now and I'm, I want to retire within the next five to 10 years. Uh, but in order to get there, I'm going to really have to uh, either put away unreasonable amounts of money and, or the way that they usually think about it is I'm just going to have to get better returns on my money. I'll just have to take higher, take more risk, uh, put it, put it out there so that I can get better returns because that's just the only way I'm going to get there. Yeah. It is an ironic thing because I actually hear it both directions, right? Mm -hmm. Like no matter what it, it comes down to the same, like (laughs) I think about people who are, they don't want to take risk because they have enough money. And then on the other side, if you don't have enough money, you want like, or, or sorry, let me say that again. People who have enough money want to take the additional risk because they can. Yeah. And then similarly, the people who don't have enough money have to take the risk because they don't have enough money. Yeah, it's just, it's just messed up. So bottom line is um, saving habits are paramount to creating wealth and the rate of return becomes um, an important factor over time, but without question, less so than saving habits themselves. Yeah. Okay. Rod number nine, we're, we're, we're down the home stretch to our final myth and Rod, I'm not sure if you can bust this one, but, but I'm going to let you try. Okay. Okay. To increase protection, protection, meaning insurance. Yeah. To increase protection insurance, my cash flow will suffer. That seems that seems logical, Rod. If I spend more money on insurance, seems like my cash flow is going to suffer. Tell me why that's not true. Uh, I'm going to jump back to the very first one we talked about, where we the myth was my money only needs to keep up pace with inflation, and we talked about a vehicle where you can put money, where it will, on average, do better than keep just keeping up with inflation. You'll earn a higher return. It's tax free. So it, it means more when when you actually are tapping into it and using it. Oh, and what what vehicle were we talking about? We were talking about life insurance. Oh, so you're saying so you're saying you can put money away and both increase your protection and increase the amount of return, therefore the amount of money you get back. Is that what we're saying? Cash flow. Yep. Okay. Cash flow doesn't have to suffer. Okay. Okay. And and can I just say like. A lot of times this comes to a little bit of restructuring. So this is an example. Mm -hmm. Life insurance is a good example because obviously we can use it as an asset and it doesn't, it's not, it's not when we understand, again, when you understand how life insurance works, especially if you're building or structuring them the way that we do, yeah, they are 100% an asset that's creating or going to create income. It is not um, a cost, right? Like some people oftentimes think of it, but again, once you understand the context of it, it's hard to call something a cost that I put, uh, I put money into it. It generates five or 6% and gives me a death benefit and some other things. And somehow that's like costing me a lot. Like that's not how it works. Right. We don't think of anything else that way. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Go ahead. Think of it in, in terms of this whole kind of savings thing. Right. My cash flow suffers if I'm putting money aside for savings. So like what you just said, if I'm setting that money aside into kind of one of these max overfunded whole life policies, uh, 
do I have less money today, quote unquote, right? Because there is some cost associated with it, right? We're not saying you, we're, we're removing the cost of the insurance or whatnot. But when taken as a whole, and you say, not just today, but in 10 years, 20 years, when I'm retired, and I'm, and I'm creating an income off of that, or when I pass away, and there's this death benefit that comes out, I get a lot more out of it than any cost or, or kind of savings, so to speak, that the money that I'm setting aside in the short term. Okay. So the other thing that I remember them talking about is just the idea that it's important to check your coverages and make sure that you're um, getting good prices, that you have the right amounts, all those types of things. And basically the other point of this, I think, is to suggest that you can have be adequately, not adequately, even they would say like maximally protected and covered mm -hmm. um, without having your cash flow suffer. And I think that in many cases, I've seen that to be true. However, I won't say that that's hard and fast, right? If I sure. go and I um, increase all of my, I increase my auto insurance and my homeowner's insurance and my, I get an umbrella policy and I do like, and that's all I do. Like, okay, then my cash flow will change, sure. right? So like, we want to be real about it. Um, but of course, using when you throw life insurance in there, it makes, you know, it kind of flips the table a little bit and makes it a little bit easier. Anyway, that's my that's my thought on um, increasing protection to have cash flow suffer. But here's one last thought. Actually, okay. one last thought is this. Is that. It's OK if your cash flow suffers. Slightly, if it means you have the right type of protection right okay that's all because yeah, it's it's peace of mind it's not, not only peace of mind because i can like sleep better knowing that if something happens to me that that my family my whatever my home my car whatever that that it's protected uh but it's the the lifestyle right i can't it's a false lifestyle if i if i think i can just be out there taking all these risks and not protect myself and my family and my wealth because uh, it's going to go away at some point. And at the end of the day, it's like the delivered money, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, that's that. Okay. Rod, this has been fun. Um, I always like myth busting. Uh, if you guys that are listening, have any feedback, please let us know if you like myth busting. Um, and if there's any myths you have seen out there that you think would be good for Rod and I to take a crack at, we'd be happy to. Um, Rod, do you have anything else to add before we call it today? I'm good. Okay. It's been fun, my friend, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.